Crosswinds family and friends. Welcome to Crosswinds Unleashed. Each week we're dedicated to bringing the best stories and biblical life principles from authentic believers. Our podcast breaks down the Christian life through interviews and practical instruction in what we hope will be a fun and accessible way. I'm Craig Cooper, the host of this podcast and lead pastor of Crosswinds Church. Um, I want to give a special shout out to our executive producer, Elijah Merrill, who's actually in studio. He's part of these Titus discussions, uh, but also our producer, uh, Sheldon Boyce, and our sort of our person who's helping us because Sheldon's not here today. Dave Wright, thank you so much for recording this. Um, as I said, we're in this conversation on the book of Titus. Uh, we're in a series currently, as this is being recorded, uh, on the book of Titus. And if you're listening to this sometime later, you can go back into Crosswinds Archives and, and look at that series. Where would you find that? Well, you find that at the same place you find out about all things Crosswinds, by heading on over to crosswinds.church. Uh, that's our website. Uh, you, we communicate with you, and you can communicate with us by going to crosswinds.church. I want to welcome back in studio Elijah Merrill, thank you so much for being a part of these Titus discussions. Of course. And uh, Betty Ryan, thank you so much for being a part of uh, this conversation and being with us again. Yep, glad to be here. So what I want to do is I want to, I want to jump over. We, we spent a couple of, of conversations out of Titus chapter 1, and we're going to jump into the, the second chapter here. And I want to talk a little bit about what Paul writes in, in my wording uh, about discipleship. It's it's not discipleship's not my wording, but in order to classify this, I classify it as sort of the discipleship section, where he talks about older men pouring into younger men and older women pouring into younger women, and he gives a uh, a list uh, of things that that they should be and be uh, modeling as they're pouring into to these generations uh, of believers. and And when I went through this for the first time and really broke it down, I, I shared it was really with a group of people back in 2002. A mentor of mine was leading about a dozen of us through the study of Titus. And one of the things that we jokingly uh, noted was when you look at the list. You know, it says older men are to be taught to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. Older women are to be taught to be reverent, uh, not slanderers or, or slave to much wine, to, to teach what is good. Uh, younger women are to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, which we'll look at in a minute, kind, submissive. And then it goes, younger men, you're to be self-controlled. Now, now that's not exactly true. I mean, that's not how it's really worded. Uh, but it, that is the only thing under younger men is just be self-controlled. And we joked because it was a bunch of us guys in that group. That was probably all they could handle, just one thing. Uh, but the interesting thing about this list and the way it's worded, um, really, they build on each other. So you can actually write all these things out, and they apply to older men, older women, younger men, younger women, which means everybody. Right, uh, these qualifications or these teachings that you're to pour down um, generation to generation on people uh, to be able to uh, to be able to see discipleship happening in church. Now, some people have looked at this too and said, you know, well, older men pouring into younger men and older women into younger women. There shouldn't be mixed groups in the church, like you know, we have connect groups, small groups here. It, it's not talking about that at all. It, it, it's using the the structure of the culture and saying, you know, that older men were to have this role. Uh, in daily life with the younger men, especially as they're um, learning uh, trades and careers. And those, in other words, that, that discipleship is to be holistic. And so in these in these settings in which they're doing life together, women would be the same way. Um, with that said, I think there is some wisdom in a, in a non-small group setting, one-on-one group, 
uh, to have men disciple men 101 and women disciple women 101. I think there's a lot of positive there and a potential negative if we don't do it that way. But I don't believe that's exactly what Titus is getting at here. More importantly, he's laying out a structure to say that, that this is sort of the type of things that need to be taught. And of course, all of this within a caveat that they understand God's word. And so that happens over and over again in, Tim, in, in Titus, that this importance of, of knowing God's word, understanding sound doctrine, which are the biblical teachings about our faith, and, and so that uh, the instruction that's being given is actual, solid, biblical instruction. Um, but what, pop, Eliza, what pops out to you when you look at this whole discipleship sort of strategy that, you know, teach these people these things? You know, what, what, what sort of jumps out at you? What are your thoughts? <clears throat> yeah, I just think that it kind of harkens back a little bit to our previous episode where we were talking about um, Paul laying out some of the qualifications, essentially just painting a picture of trying to live a life in godliness. Um, this is right in line with that, and I think he's just he's just honing in on some specific things that might be um, some just some more specific trip ups, if you will, and saying that as as you enter into these discipling relationships, it's important that you keep these things in mind because what you're essentially asking the the people that you're discipling to do is you you are you are asking them first of all to to trust you as the disciple maker, but also they're going to be, if that trust is then made, they're going to be looking to you um, as their disciple maker and, 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 and almost as a role, as a role model in some situations. And so I think he just, he, he's intentionally laying out some things that um, could potentially hinder getting, hinder that godliness lifestyle but he's also saying, like, like, look, if if you are to be discipling and making disciples, um, th- some of these other things are might take away your focus and might might hinder your ability to do this um, in a in a godly manner and with excellence. And I think he's just I think he's just plainly pl- um, laying out some things that are good things to keep in check in those relationships. Um, for multiple benefits, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. How are you, Betty? Well, you know, I agree with everything that Lai just said. And what I could add to it is I picture myself looking at a group of teens saying, okay, here, teens, these are the things I know what you're struggling. I mean, I would like to think that from conversation and relationship with them, I can understand some Mm. of their struggles. So I'm going to share with them what what they would have to deal with what um, older men or older women would have to deal with. You know, some of the people in their current context of life, understanding that they've lived in Crete their whole lives. Yes. What have they learned growing up and what needs to change? Yeah, that's good. Culturally speaking, right? To raise in a different culture than church culture. That's right. And these are the things that maybe in your culture were were accepted, Mm -hmm. and that's not acceptable to God. Yeah, and uh, that is, I think that is so key to the things that he's saying here. And he, he says in all of them, likewise. So he's, t- he's talking to all of them, by the way. And then these are some things that are specific. And I think that um, he encourages them to bridge the gap yeah. between generations. And we have to do that. I mean, you know, in Scripture, throughout Scripture, it talks about teaching the generations, you yes. know, generation after generation, because in one generation, so much can be lost. 
You know, for me, one of the things that, that sticks out that I said we would look at is when it's talking about the younger women and it says that they should work at home, mm. you know, and 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 um, we've talked about the importance of context, not just biblical context, but historical context. And and uh, when you look at the Roman Empire, you look at Greco-Roman culture, you have very few opportunities for women outside the home. Uh, in fact, the further you get away from Crete and the closer you get to Rome, you do see some prominent women who um, own things, who run things. Most of them are widowers, widows, widows. Most of them are widows, um, you know, and most of them are older. They don't have children they're caring for. So there's a level of reasonable acceptability at that point. Okay, their husbands died. They're, 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 they're quote unquote, in that culture, their women duties is sort of done. Um, they can run this, but there's only a few. Like that. that's not rampant. That's certainly not a large enough number that it's even spoken of much. Um, in, uh, in in historical documents, but but there are examples even in scripture uh, of individuals like that. So on Crete, um, which was a culture that was v- offered very few opportunities, if any, for women outside of the home, their option was either to be a and this uh, I hate to be crude, but it's just true, either to be a street prostitute or someone's mistress. Like that was your other option. And so that obviously, as we looked at in a previous episode, was something that was happening on Crete. And so when you're writing to Christians, you talked about what was culturally acceptable, but not godly, accept, not acceptable to God. That was one of those issues. And so when they were talking to younger women, they're saying, no, work at home. These things are not appropriate for you. This is. It's not meant to be a mandate um, for women today to say, well, you can't have a career, you can't do these things, because there's availability now mm-hmm. within our culture for women to do things outside the home. And, and so when it, it, there's always that, that, that possibility of overstating principles in Scripture in this way, that we, if we don't look at it within its context, then we can begin to codify the principles and say, well, what this means is women should never work outside the home anytime, anywhere, anytime. And that's not what it's saying at all. Now, the other problem is, is that we don't have any, uh, we say, well, if that's not true, then none of these things apply. And, and they all apply in, in the sense of principle, right? Principle. And, and, and really what we're being, what's being called to is, is that believers are to live in a manner that really aligns with biblical teachings. And, and so you could see where much like when we looked at the eldership qualifications that husbands are to be, uh, you know, the, the husband of one wife. And we understand that culturally what that meant was they were to be married uh, to one woman. They're not to have relations outside of marriage. They're not to have um, women who they treat as wife but aren't married to and have families with them. You know, that was a, that was a cultural problem then. Well, there obviously was an issue here, too. We're saying, look, you know, no matter how tough things are getting, trust God for your income. Trust God for your, for your future. Don't, don't sell yourself into into uh, you know sort of sexual slavery by becoming by being a street prostitute or by becoming someone's mistress, which feeds into the husband about one wife, right? So there's this cultural reality that's being that's being placed there. But it's so easy when we when we sort of read through this again to to throw out hermeneutics, which is the way that we study scripture, and, and say, look, we need to understand the scriptural context and we need to understand the historical context, and then understand what principles are we learning 
that allow us to be the men and God, men and women that God has called us to be within the culture in which we live. And so for me, that's, that's just a profound teaching. But it leads me into another question, because there's, there's another part of, of Titus chapter 2, um, actually verses 9 through 10, uh, where Paul writes to bond servants, and bond servants are taught to be submissive, well-pleasing, not argumentative, uh, not, uh, not you know, stealing, uh, showing uh, all good faith. And, and there's been a lot of criticism of this particular text saying that, that Paul doesn't speak outwardly against slavery, um, but that he is addressing slaves to be good slaves. And, 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 and you can see, again, uh, if you don't look at the historical context, you can see why you would think that. But when you look at the historical t- context, you begin to realize two things. First of all, um, what Paul is dealing with is how do people in their different stages of life or where they find themselves— how are they to live godly lives? So how's an older man to live a godly life? How's a younger man to live a godly life? How's an older woman to live a godly life? How's a younger woman to live godly life who has no really options except to work at home? Well, here, here, work at home, and, and you know, this is sort of the way the culture is, and be a godly wife and a, and a woman in that type of culture. When he's writing to the slave, he's he's writing the same thing. Now, by the way, it's bondservant. Bondservant could be a slave. It could be someone who actually sells himself into slavery in order to pay a debt or so forth. And either way, it's not something that we would see as socially appropriate, right? And certainly not biblically appropriate, but it was what was happening in their culture. And, and, and two things historically we know, uh, first of all, is if Paul said, hey, look, I don't, I don't, I'm just going to put a little caveat here. You shouldn't even be a slave. Just walk away. Um, that slave's going to be killed. Uh, over half the population slaves. I don't know where they would have went. Um, that, that, that would have been that would have been a true statement. Paul could have made that. Look, I don't believe in slavery. Um, certainly, that that's true. In fact, that's why as 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 people in Christ began to constantly hit on this, slavery becomes less and less. Uh, a thing in places where Christianity becomes more and more a thing. Our own country is riddled with this with this sort of uh, situation. But there were many a Christian who were standing up and saying, "Look, this isn't right. This has to stop." Um, but Paul's writing uh, to the slave and, who's probably asking the question, "Look, I have become a Christian. What do I do? What do I do?" And Paul says, "Well, here's what you do." Interesting culturally, a historical context is there was a lot of like um, dramas that were being uh, put on place, a lot of conversation saying that all slaves were thieves, all slaves were liars, all slaves, you know, just sort of the, you know, it's nothing new. You know, you have people who look down on people, right? And so this is a group of like the nobles who are looking down on the slaves and saying, trying to probably justify why they're slaves, right? Well, of course they're slaves. They're not, they're not even barely human. They steal, they lie, all these things. So what Paul says is, prove them wrong. Give them no reason to say such things. Live a godly life. Almost, you know, Paul will at one point in time say, you know, those who who are trying to persecute you, you know, (laughs) return kindness. It's like heaping hot coals on their head. You know, in other words, you you can say what you want, but you know in your heart what you're saying is not true. And so he's saying to slaves, uh, here's how you can live a godly life. Now, what's interesting with a lot of people who criticize Paul for even bringing slaves into this, he did something that culturally was not done, and that is he addressed slaves as equals. 
He's saying to slaves, you are part of the family. As a matter of fact, he points them out. He talks about men and women. Then he says, look, there's many slaves coming into the kingdom, and you are not a slave. You are free in Christ, and you can live a godly life and make a difference for the kingdom. And, and to me, what a profound statement. And when we're talking first century AD, no one is writing like this. No one has recognized his slaves as equals. No one's doing this, but Paul does when he talks about discipleship and godly living. And to me, again, it just proves that this, this little book has big lessons for all of us to look at and, and how, how revolutionary uh, we look at these things, not as revolutionary, but how revolutionary what he wrote was in that day. Any thoughts about that, Elijah? I just yeah it it just it strikes me as um, such a not only not only is it revolutionary it just when you dig into it it's so intentionally written the way that it is I think because I think Paul understood the mission and he understood he obviously was living in the culture he understood it but he had such a such a, a revelation of how to how to write to these people groups and say and 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 recognize them and say look you you are just as part of God's kingdom and you can make you can you can do the work that God wants you to do and 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 yes that's revolutionary in how he's addressing it but I also feel like he's intentionally saying it in a way that is he is able to he is able to present them with this godly calling of a message and yet not um not cause uh not cause uproar or not, uh you know a large you know commotion or whatever because you're right you said if they if if they would have if they would have left or run they either would have been killed or where would they have gone you know what I mean? So Paul was intentional in doing that and saying, um, and saying it the way he was. And I, up until um, preparing for this, I had never really, I hadn't thought about that passage that way before. And just, man, hats off to how attuned Paul was to what God wanted him to do and what God wanted him to say. You know, and how intentional he was with every word. Yeah, you know? I can't help but picture. You know, Paul. Titus is reading this letter from Paul. He's reading it to these different Christian communities, some of them having slaves in them who are believers, right, who are sitting there hearing this. And then Paul addresses the slave uh, in the letter, right, by, you know, to those who are bondservants, you know, and just the that moment of, wow, you know, I, I am part of the kingdom. God does love me. I, 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 I do deserve better, but this is this is where I find myself right now. And how do I live in, in a situation which which isn't right? It isn't just, um, you know, it, it's it's uh, culturally acceptable, but biblically not. Um, and and Paul's writing to them, and I can't help but think uh, this feeling of liberation to go, you know, again, Paul constantly reminds us in, in Titus, and you know, that our future of our future glory in paradise, and and for them to say, okay, so there is a there is light at the end of this mm. tunnel. Uh, I will, right now I'm spiritually free, but there will be a day when I'll be totally free, uh, and all of us will experience that. And But what do I do until that fullness of, of, of that promise of freedom comes? And, and Paul says, here's here's how to live, here's how to live, and, and, and in doing so, um, make the impact that, that everyone else is striving yeah. to make for the kingdom. Buddy, what do you think? 
Um, I think you said it so well. He says in at the end of that passage, he tells them to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So does he say to um, the faithful believer who is not enslaved, hold these qualities, but you as slaves, go ahead and be resentful and angry and frustrated and do all of those horrible things because it's okay for you. No, he says, adorn the doctrine of God. It's, it's equal. So it's equal on all levels. And just my time in Celebrate Recovery and leading that ministry, I think we realize that a resentment takes root in your in your heart, you know? Yes. And now you start to enact that in all areas of your life. So giving that up is not for your master, be it a, a human master, not right. our Lord and Savior. It's for you. Yes. You know, live a different way so that you yourself... Hmm can live um, in the peace and comfort and confidence of God. Yeah, and Paul's not writing out of any um, anything that he hasn't had to do, right? I mean, mm. we, we see Paul and Silas who's imprisoned, mm. uh, you know, unjustly imprisoned, beaten, and, and thrown in prison. And, and so when Paul says, hey, live a godly life, well, Paul, how dare you? What, what do you mean? You know, if Silas was sort of defending Paul, he'd say, well, when we were in there, Paul started leading us in a worship chorus, and we began to sing and praise God in the prison, and some pretty radical things happened because of that, right? I mean, uh, uh, so Paul's not writing as someone who hasn't been mistreated and, and, and doesn't understand you know, what it is to be in an unjust situation, but he's writing out of sort of an example of what he did which is you still live the godly life, that you still have purpose, that you still have meaning, that God is present. And even in the midst of, of what is a, a terrible uh, tragedy against humanity, God can use you. God is with you. God has purpose for you. And uh, to me, that's just mind-blowing, you know? I mean, uh, just... Uh, uh, just, just amazing. And Paul, of course, uh, was a persecutor of Christians, and so, you know, he understands the other side of it. How you can be so righteously wrong, you know. I know I'm right in this, you know, and yet be so wrong because that was him when he was persecuting Christians. And so, you know, it's interesting. Later, he'll write of a runaway slave. He's writing to the slave's master, and he'll he'll say to him basically, you know, just just to remember as this runaway slave goes back to him. It's probably delivering this letter, by the way, handing it to him, uh, to, to this master and saying, just remember, he's a brother in Christ. And, and I just wonder, you know, that had to radically shake this person who respects Paul. And Paul's saying, because how do you treat a, a brother in Christ as anything less than that? And you can't have them as a slave and consider them an equal, right? Christianity has radically, radically shaked the foundations of, of how we see uh, gender roles, how we see um, uh, slavery, how we see people of all different backgrounds, uh, because the scripture is quite clear we're on equal footing before the cross. And, uh, and it is just, uh, when you look at discipleship, it's all bound into this understanding of sound doctrine, right, which again is biblical teaching. That you need to teach those things that the word teaches, and 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 many times that is countercultural, just so countercultural. Roger, what do you think about that? <clears throat> yeah, I think that he. Again, I'm just as someone who would love to have the 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 richness of the gift of writing that Paul had. Right, I. He is just so – I just can't – I go back to thinking about how 
how in tune he is with understanding God's call for his life and how that affects how he's writing to these people and the things that the things that he puts puts on the line in his writing you know and he because he isn't sure you could say like we've already talked about you could say that he doesn't he he didn't say he didn't say as much as he could have said you know or it's like well sure but he's he is he's writing in such a way that is is potentially and as we look back now having the most impact because he he understood he understood what god's calling was for them and he understood what god's plan was he didn't understand what god's plan was to the full extent right but he understood what what um god wanted to do with these people yes and um knowing that not knowing the specifics but knowing that god wanted to use them because he knew that god used him yes and look at how god used him and so paul's coming at it from a place of recognizing what god can do with someone in someone in the position of the worst of these when they devote and put in their trust in 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 into god and so i'm just reminded of the 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 passion that he must have had in writing some of these things and then just we're so blessed with immediate communication yes i can't imagine the amount of just prayer and trust after sending that letter off and being like okay there it goes and we just i and just praying over where that letter is going to go and how people are going to receive it, you know, because time was just communicating was so different back then, you know. Yeah, and, and to think that the you know we use the word forgotten person, right? Mm -hmm. That the forgotten person is not forgotten by Paul, but more importantly, not forgotten by God, and they have a purpose and they have worth, and that, you know, is this is this unbelievable? Well, so as we, as we wrap up this conversation a little bit, let's go around the circle here. Betty, I'll start with you. Final words on discipleship and sort of the criteria that Paul lays out here for Titus and for us. What are your, sort of your final thoughts? I hope this makes sense because it was something that really came to me as I was listening to Elijah speak. And it's we were born into this culture at this time for a purpose. The people in Crete were born in that culture and in that time. So in that culture, godly living, none of the truths changed and the humility and the love and the grace and all of those things that needed to be exhibited, um, their situation may have looked a little different. So our situation today looks a little different, but to maintain that godly living and to do what he's called us to do, which is to teach the next generation, because those have come before us, but there will be those after us too. Yes. And yeah. so we must maintain that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I just I'm I'm just reminded of even even now, like how consistent through scripture, the how consistently the importance of discipleship is presented. And um, I guess if if you're listening to this and you're in the 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 Crosswinds Canandaigua campus area, come reach out to us and come get plugged in. And if anything, get come be part of part of a community. But also, we would love to tell you about what discipleship can look like. Um, and how and how that process in our in our modern culture today um, can look, and we'd love to we'd love to tell you about that. Mm. You know, for me, uh, John Wesley uh, made a statement that sort of sums up 
this passage for me. And he said, do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can in all the places you can at all times uh, you can. Uh, to all people, you can, as long as you ever can. And, you know, just this idea uh, of living a godly life and, and just being the example. And the other day I had the opportunity to, to do a seminar where I was talking about, in part, um, a book I had read years ago that talked about science ca- catching up with Christianity, where at point there were points where science was like what they thought they knew. They were discrediting the Bible, but then later— um, they would find that the Bible was actually the one that was right. You know, for instance, uh, I use the example that was in the book of transfusions. They tried to transfuse um, people with blood of monkeys, and then, then they realized people were dying, of course. And then they tried to transfuse the blood of, of just people. Some people lived, some people died, sometimes because they weren't using sterile things, sometimes because we understand that blood is different. Well, Paul writes about the blood being different way before there was ever a microscope. And later, science caught up to that truth that God had just inspired on Paul uh, to write there. I think just as science sometimes has to catch up with the Bible, so too does culture. And when we read Scripture, we realize it's written in a culture. And just like our culture, um, it hasn't caught up to the Bible either uh, of what God wants And when it comes to, to, to us being one. You know, uh, um, one of my favorite quotes on humanity comes from an individual by the name of Bruce Lee, who says that under the heavens there is but one, one race, and um, and the Scripture teaches that right that that there's just those who are created by God, and that you know skin color, uh, you know our cultural that that that's that's not a dividing for, we're just one people. Um, who are separated only by two, by one decision, that is, those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. But humanity is humanity. And to think that Paul in the first century, when this is not being talked about, not being it just so plainly addresses everybody, uh, what, what, a, what an amazing, amazing God we serve. Mm-hmm. To inspire him to do that, and so, so I just encourage you. You know, keep on with us. We'll have another uh, conversation out of Titus, and we're studying the book of Titus. And as I said before, if you're listening to this, and this is sometime after our series, we archive our entire series. Uh, you can go back. You can find that by going to Crosswinds.Church. You can find out past podcasts, past messages, all things Crosswinds. You can communicate with us. It's our one of our primary ways of us communicating with you, crosswinds.church. Uh, but for now, uh, be blessed and bless others.